We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, back to our uh, studies here. We have been uh, looking at material regarding uh, training uh, children about parenting. Really, it's kind of training parents, not training children, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll put it under the children category here uh, in our minds. I have a number of notes that I didn't get to the last time that we uh, worked on this, and so I'll go back to the mark where I left off. And we talked, uh, we're actually working through, uh, I'm working through this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Tripp, and uh, maybe some of you, I think, have read that before, but I think it was good to review it. For me, it's the first time through, um, and uh, I've just read chapter 10, which uh, we, I won't speak about today. Uh, well, actually, I think I read 10 and 11. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was 11, actually which is about corporal punishment. So uh, that probably get us kicked off YouTube, but anyway, uh, we'll see about that next week or two. Um, but really, uh, I wanted to go back with uh, chapter seven, eight, nine, and 10, somewhere in that area, and talk about the methods. Uh, what he has is a, a chapter on discarding unbiblical methods of uh, raising children. And I've got a list of them. I'll just kind of list them off here, maybe make a comment or two. Uh, uh, six of them, actually. First of all, unbiblical methods for raising children, or let me say it this way, unbiblical methods for parenting. Number one on his list is uh, to do it just the way that I was raised. You know, the way that I was raised, well, I turned out okay, so uh, let's just, you know, carry on the, um, the tradition, let's say. Uh, you know, even if it was quite imperfect in its implementation, uh, you know, and, and of course, of course, you have a very objective opinion about you know how your parents did poorly or rightly, right? You, you know, hopefully you, you do have an objective uh, evaluation of it. But how I was raised is not the right answer. And what we're trying to do is get to the answer that you've got to be firmly, strongly tied into the scriptures. Um, method of uh, raising children. And he makes some interesting points uh, along the way when he talks about that. Number two, a common way that people, parents raise kids today is using pop psychology. Uh, or I could just say it this way, psychology. It's actually, pop is probably more of a 70s term than it is a modern term because it's become just mainstream. You know, it was, it was uh, back then it was uh, in, Huge. I mean, uh, causing churches problems that look at you can't do counseling in your church because you're not licensed. That sort of thing. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was uh, big court cases about that and and things. But today, it's just so common. You you know read uh, material online and children. Uh, basically, you know you have to. I don't even know all the terms and all the words, but. 
you know, watch out for their self-esteem and, you know, train them. You don't really train them. You kind of just let them go the way they're going to go. And uh, you can't say no. And everybody's got to win a prize. And, you know, all of those sorts of things that, that happen uh, because of pop psychology. That is really just another way of saying, here's what the world's consensus on the matter is. And since when do we follow the world's consensus on things as Christians? Uh, number three, uh, behavior modification, which is a technique using rewards and privations in order to bend the child to get them what you want them to do. It's kind of a, I don't, I'll say it this way, a Pavlov's dog kind of thing. You know, you, you reward or you withhold and uh, one of the things that was very interesting, illustrations that uh, was used in the text um, was uh, the author of the book was uh, asking some parents who had grounded their child for a long period of time. And that grounding was basically stay in your room except to eat, go to the bathroom, and go to school or something like that. Maybe go to church uh, for a long time, weeks or something. And they... Uh, author asked them the question, what do you intend to accomplish by that? And the parents were kind of like dumbfounded at that question. They weren't accomplishing anything for the child. They were accomplishing something against the child. Um, and so I say that not to say that you can never use that, you know, you can never send your child to their room. Don't listen to me and hear me saying that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you better know what you're doing because the most important thing you have as a parent in your life is children. <laughs> They're more important than your house, than your cars, than your bank account, than your job, than anything else. Your stewardship of your children is critical, super important. So, you know, just using behavior modification techniques uh, there may be some place for using those, but you may you better know how you're doing that and in what framework and how you're going to actually help your child instead of just bend them externally. See, that's part of the part of the, one of the main thrusts of the book. You're getting external behavior, that's not really what you need. You need to get to the heart of the youngster and the, the heart of the matter with regard to the gospel. Another way uh, of uh, an unbiblical method that he talks about is emotionalism. Gives a, a very interesting illustration of a very immature parent who uses uh, emotions to to manipulate the child. Um, you know, kind of things like you know, you're basically kind of like you're a loser, or I hate you, or that. That's from the parent's mouth, not from the child's mouth. Well, that's just like a that's just a grown up version of a child, a big. Uh, not a grown-up version, a big version of a child. Uh, but these are things that you see out and about. Um, another unbiblical method is to use only punitive methods instead of corrective methods. There's a difference between those. Punitive versus corrective. Of course, there's a place for punitive measures, but you have to focus on corrective measures. And then there's number six on his list, which he calls erratic eclecticism. By what he, he means by that is basically a grab bag of all the prior techniques and you just, whatever feels good at the time or whatever you think of at the 
you know, the first five seconds, that's just what you use. And uh, it's a, a no, there's no plan, uh, there's no thinking behind it, really. Um, what, and I, what I've kind of observed, another large principle that comes out of this is a lot of times parents discipline their children, train their children, maybe not even train them, in a way that makes it convenient for the parent. The parent is the focus of such a program and not the child. The parent is the one who is trying to make life quiet and convenient and not bothered and you know what I'm saying? That's called selfishness. And that's not what we're called to do either. So uh, we uh, want to focus on character development and attitudes of the heart. But most importantly, we want to move our youngsters toward Christ and the cross as a solution for sin in the heart. I was thinking about it this morning, and I was thinking, um, we want to... We want to answer questions like the what of discipline um, and, and training children or raising children, maybe is what I should say more broadly, not just discipline, but raising children. And we want to think about the why we do that. And we want to think about the how. How, how is it that you can really help a child to see their need inside? Like, or, or to maybe say the how a different way. Talk, think about how, how can your child obey what you ask them to do properly from their heart? There, how, how can that be? How can that happen? There's only one way, and that's that their heart be transformed by the gospel. Yeah, they can be made to conform externally, Right? But you see on their face that it's not internal. You, you noticed that before? It's not internal at all. It's not because they feel a, a, a remorse that they've done something wrong or that they've responded poorly to their mom or dad's instruction. Or, so, yeah, they'll go take out the trash, but, you know, all the way. How do you, how do you reach into there to help them to see. Now, of course, that in involves communication, as we talked about last time. But I guess I'm kind of, maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I'm just kind of giving you my results of my study and thinking about this as I've gone through it. Getting to the gospel, getting to the heart of the child so that, and that when it, when it happens, when it happens, isn't it a joy? Have you also experienced that? Some, not always, maybe not often. <laughs> it's a challenge. But when it happens and you see that work of God begin in a heart, you say, ah, now, now this child is okay. Yes. That's right, yeah. Accepting taking out the trash with the murmuring, accepting that as obedience is falling short of your job as a parent. What if it happens so often that you're like, I can't fight that battle right now? Now, you do have to choose sometimes. You're going to say, you know, now listen, the last two times that I asked you to do this, you did that same thing. Now we're going to sit down and we're going to look at the verse of Scripture that talks about the fact that you're, la you know, you're being lazy or 
uh, you're not being obedient to your parents, which is the right thing to do. Uh, or, I don't know, you, you're apathetic or something. You, you know, maybe you have to actually huh, perish the thought. We actually have to sit down and hunt around in our scriptures for the Bible verses that we need to teach to our kids. Like, uh-oh, that means I have to study the Bible now in order to help my kid take out the trash? Yes, <laughs> you do. I mean, it, it, you know, at some point, you know, you can reuse Ephesians chapter 6. <laughs> it's a great verse. But you can reuse it so many times that it becomes like, it doesn't, can I say it doesn't work anymore? <laughs> I don't want to say that because that's kind of heretical, right? The Bible doesn't work. <laughs> but it becomes rote. So, yeah, uh, this is why, and I, listen, I'm not telling you this from uh, I've got it all figured out. I've done it perfectly for the last 18 years. Come on. <laughs> I needed this 18 years ago, you know, 18 and a half, actually. Probably should have started 19 years ago. <laughs> uh, you know, the age of our eldest son, so you know why I'm using that number. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's insufficient to accept murmuring as obedience because it's not obedience at all. It's just, you know, doing a, a mechanical function. Um, so, yeah, trying to get at the sin in the heart. And that's where it takes time. And hopefully, you know, you get to the how then. Well, how, you know, son or daughter, how can you do that without murmuring? Well, ultimately, it's not just by, you know, me pressing down my will on yours and influence, you know, kind of, making you do that. It's by you asking the Lord, Lord, please help me not to complain when I'm asked to do something particularly that's very reasonable. I mean, you know, you're a member of this household, you know, why should I have to fold all this laundry? It's not all mine. <laughs> You've never heard that before? No? no? Okay. <laughs> i got to visit your house and see how you do that. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, there's certain things we, we don't like bribe our kids with an allowance for doing things that are just functional household things that have to be done. I mean, they don't, you don't, who pays you an allowance for doing the laundry? You know, I mean, it's just something that you have to do to live. It's, it's you know, taking out the trash and doing the laundry and vacuuming the carpet and all those, they're just basics, you know. You don't pay for that. Um, but... Yeah, anyway. That's another good verse to use, by the way. I'm just an unfaithful servant. And uh, it, what it does is it teaches, oh, by the way, along those lines of, you know, the verses on laziness or diligence or whatever, uh, humility. You're not above cleaning the toilets. You know, mom and dad have done it for all the years besides your diapers. <laughs> so cleaning the toilets, no problem. Uh, and it needs to be done. So, did you have something, Drew? You're murmuring, actually, when you... We're murmuring when we do that, right? Drew's comment is a good segue for me to say something that's a little later in my notes, but I think it's a good place to say it now. You know, when you are working with your children, especially as they get older, you want to be able to do two things. You are responsible to be above them, but you should also see yourself, and this will help them, 
to see yourself beside them. You are a sinner just like they are. Son, I am a sinner just like you are. And you apologize for your murmuring and your complaining and your mishandling of, of uh, discipline and you know, your misuse of words and all of that. But you're coming alongside of them and saying, son, when I experience that, now as I look back, I know exactly what you're going through. The challenges at school, the feelings of the pressure that's on you put on yourself or you think is on you, the, uh, you know, the things that people want you to do, the things that your flesh desires to do, the way that you react to things. I've experienced all of that. And here's how God helped me. Testimony time, right? And here's how God has been patient with me. And so you're coming alongside, you know, in my case, I don't have girls, so I always think about it with young men because uh, that's what I have to practice uh, right now. But, you know, I'm trying to bring them along to become men of God. And so I'm saying, look, and I remember very well, there's a lot of things I don't remember, but there's certain things that I do have the, the, uh, the, the memory of, um, the self-consciousness in school, the lack of desire to submit to my parents, and certain things, kind of, I don't know, spiritual things like that. You know, I, I remember those much more clearly in episodes regarding those than I would say, you know, the name of those, that guy and that girl in my accounting class. Like, I could go to my class reunion and I wouldn't know half the people there, you know. I mean, I'd be clueless, but... Um, but some of those other things, you know, the desires of the heart, the longings and all of that, I, I, I remember those as if I were, you know, just back in my teenage mind. And so I can come alongside and, and help them with that and, and commiserate with them and say, I know exactly. God has been very patient with me. In fact, he's been 30 years longer patient with me than he has with you, David, or with you, John, because that's how much older I am than you are, you know. So... Think of yourself as a dual, a dual role here. Above, and you have a stewardship to do that, and beside. And I think one of the things that he points out here, although maybe not in these exact words, is if you're too much, if you see yourself as too much above, that's a problem. And if you see yourself as too much beside, that's a problem. Okay? If you're just your kid's buddy, You've heard this, right? If you're just their friend, well, then you're not doing your job. But if you're too much above and you're just an authoritarian with no empathy for what they're actually experiencing, because, listen, the kinds of problems that you're telling them to stop doing can't be stopped without the aid of God's grace. Do you agree? You ought to know in your own heart. Why did the children of Israel murmur before God days after he brought them across dry land in the Red Sea? So we need, we need to be patient as well. So thank you, Drew, for that comment on that, which brought us to that point. So biblical methods of working with our kids, and he has two of them. One is communication, and then two chapters on communication. Then he has one on the rod corporal punishment side. So that's for another time, but biblical methods of communication. 
Um, so we don't want just biblical goals, you know, outcomes. We want biblical methods along the way. So if you have biblical goals, you can think of this too, like you know, the, the illustration I was just using of too much above or too much beside. Well, what about if you have biblical goals but unbiblical methods? Or biblical methods and unbiblical goals. You've got to have both of them. So um, communication with our kids has to be two-directional. has to be two-directional. Um, and he gives some good illustrations of that and good words if you want to read some more directly from uh, our author there. But find out what is going on inside of them. He gives an excellent illustration. It's like, why did you hit your sister? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. So that's typical, right? But how is it that you can get in there and find out what's going on? So he gives some suggested, you know, a kind of an illustrative uh, conversation to give you some ideas, perhaps, of how to do that. But you're listening. You're not just talking. So find out what's in them, what's, what the why is, what the motivation is, without necessarily asking why, like my just now illustration, why did you hit your sister? Well, they maybe can't say, but try to draw out what's going on and help the child express him or herself um, use a better line of questioning. In fact, I've got the uh, reference. Let me just look at that. So that's the why, why did you hit your sister? Well, he gives some other things, some other ideas. What were you feeling when you hit her? What did your sister do that made you mad? Help me understand how hitting her seemed to make things better. What was the problem with what she was doing to you? Maybe, maybe the sister was doing something sinful. Possibly. Didn't justify the later behavior, but maybe there was something there. Uh, you know, son, think with me about one or two other ways you could have responded. How could you have handled it? You could have come and talked to me that your sister was sinning against you, or you, know, you could have walked away, or you could have said, well, it's no big deal, just let her have the toy get it later when she takes a nap or something like that, you know. Um, so how do you think your response reflected trust or lack of trust in God? How did your response reflect trust in the Lord or lack of trust in the Lord? Boy, those are good. Wish I could think of those every time I had to think of something on the spot, you know. <laughs> um, so a better line of questioning. So, and, and, you know, again, you're not going to be able to, you know, sit your child down every, every instance, you know, and give a you know, gospel message. But you're aiming for that, some aspect of God's grace and the gospel and showing them that they need that in their, uh, in their life in order to be able to overcome the problem. Yes, son, you're not, ultimately you're not going to be able to overcome those sorts of things just by mere, you know, psychological tricks and self-control and, and that sort of thing. Um, all right, so what about types of communication then, if you're communicating with your children? And by the way, I said you're communicating with your children, not communicating at your children, okay? There's a difference of talking to or talking at and talking with. Um, oh, and by the way, I have found this too. Uh, 
I've tried to maintain with our boys an open door policy, as I call it. Um, give you an illustration. Uh, come two, two come to mind, but I'll give kind of the more abstract one so it doesn't implicate anybody. Um, the, you, you have perhaps heard of the case of a, a president of the United States with small children, and the child wants to come in to see dad in the office. Now, what office is he talking about? Oh, my. <laughs> the Oval Office or whatever. And, and the, you know, the staff wants to keep the child out, and the president says, that's not how it's going to work around here. Now, obviously, he's going to have to keep control of the situation and, and have mom help, uh, you know, corral the kids during business hours and whatever else. But, I mean, if there's a need, then I need to see my son or my daughter. Um, and so if your child feels the need to talk to you, they should be able to feel totally free to do that. So one of the challenges for me is to maintain an environment where they don't feel like, they're just going to be told off or, you know, corrected or, you know, Bible verses are going to start coming and just kind of wham them. But they can be heard as well. And so uh, I haven't had this with all of our boys, but with one, uh, you know, comes about 10 or 10.30 at night, and now's the time to talk. Well, that's past bedtime. We can't be having that. That's that's a, that wrecks my that wrecks my schedule, <laughs> you know. But there's something about people have observed teenagers want to talk at night, and it's not just to get out of going to bed. They they passed that phase a little while ago, but there's something bothering them, and uh, you've got to take advantage of every one of those opportunities that you can, even if you are dead tired. You must. I just implore you because those are super important times when they come. Now, that maybe your child's pattern is different, but you know you'll have to learn that. Right. Your brain starts working on a response before you've fully heard the matter, and you might think, well, that's an efficient way to use my time. Yeah, maybe efficient, but is it correct? If you haven't heard the matter yet. So sometimes it may be the best to say, okay, I'm going to listen. All right, now, son, I, I'm not sure exactly what the best way to respond is to that. Let me think about it, and I'll talk to you later today, or something like that. But then they know that they've been heard. That could be, that could be about 90% of the problem in some cases. Mom and dad have heard me, so now I know they care about it, or they're thinking about it. So you're suggesting if Betty tells you something, you can kind of repeat back to her in brief format and say, am I understanding that correctly? Right. Yes. She can say, yeah. You got she it. Can say, no, not quite right. Yeah. Yeah, we've had so many funny episodes in our family when, when I say something and I get tongue twisted because I'm, I know exactly what I mean and the words come out and they make sense to me, but they don't to you know, somebody else, or somebody else says something, and we're like, you said, you know, ABC, and they're like, no, I didn't. But like three witnesses are like, yeah, you did say ABC, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good to, 
good method of communication to uh, ask those questions. So uh, quickly, uh, methods of communication. And uh, he lays out kind of a structure, rules, correction, and discipline, or rules, warning, and, and discipline. Um, but in, in trying to implement that in the home, how do you communicate? So uh, he talks about communicating with regard to assessing the situation. So what are the reasons? What's the cause of this situation? He talks about an, a communication with regard to encouragement. Uh, let me give you an illustration of this. This is from, from the pastor's heart to you. I had a, a situation where it was always, you know, this person needs this correction. They need, they need input. They need help. And it turned out after, after a while that it's not working. And then a situation happened, and it gave some more correction, and some time passed, and the person responded well to that situation. And I was so just thankful to God. And I told the person that. And I gave them a word of encouragement and said, I want you to know that this is really a mark of spiritual maturity. That word of encouragement was like gas in their tank. I mean, it was like worth 10 times what the input that they needed, the corrective input that they needed was. I'm not saying that's always going to be the case, that it's 10 times more important or something, but I'm just saying it was like, it just was like, you know, you're going along like this and kind of bumping along, and then it's just a little bit, you know, a little bit of a word of encouragement. You know, son, you are doing a great job at whatever, you know. Um, you know, I'm very pleased with how you responded to that situation. Uh, showing spiritual maturity, something like that. Just think about ways that you can do that. You know, the role of government, what's the role of government? Two functions. Punish evildoers and what? The one that's always forgotten. Praise those who do well. You better be doing both. You better be doing both. You know, if the government has that function in society, well, the other unit, other major unit of of, of society, the family should have some of that stuff going on in it as well. And I've been an advocate. I think we, the government ought to do more praising of people who do well. You know, I don't know how you do that. You can think of all kinds of creative ways, but, you know, people that do the right thing or that pay their taxes or, or whatever, do something, you know, for them. Um, we had that, remember that illustration about how we got stopped on the highway? Did I tell you that? Yeah. One, one, it was Christmas Day two, three years ago. And, you know, here we are over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go, you know, for Christmas. And we get pulled over by the state police. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you know. And he comes to the passenger side of the car and he just says, oh, I just wanted to give you this little Tim Hortons gift card because you were the, the only ones going the speed limit. <laughs> Everybody else is going faster. I'm like, well, that's nice, you know. I'll drive the speed limit more often now. <laughs> yes, sir. I don't think they're contradictory. I think you want to make a home environment where you teach that we are humble servants, 
But remember, God is constitutionally just as bound to reward righteousness as he is to retribute, could I use that word that way, evil, to punish evil, and he also rewards good. He rewards the good in his son. He rewards the the good in in his people. Uh, He rewards us at the Bema seat. So, and we don't expect those rewards, like, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. I don't think they're contradictory at all, but... um, I think from, from uh, yeah, I just don't think they're contradictory. I mean, if, if it's, I do think it's very poor if the only interaction that a father has with his children is correction, correction, correction. I, I was also thinking, I, I kind of see that maybe as what he was Yeah, I, I, I think so, I, I, exactly. A correction has been made, improvement is noted. Uh, it's not all negative, you know. It's not like, okay, they did that, now I'm going to be on them because they didn't do something else, and I'm not going to say anything about the improvement. You know what that does to a person's psyche, right? Everything's deflated when that happens. Well, so let's see. We have uh, encouragement. We have correction. I think what's pretty obvious, bringing something up to a standard. And, of course, the response to correction, we can go to Proverbs 9 or many other places in the Proverbs. What does the fool do with correction? He despises it. So if, if your child despises what, what, that's tough, because the Bible's saying they're foolish. Well, of course, we know foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from them. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's, it can really be sobering because you see the true, the true spiritual condition of your children. There's rebuke. Uh, you know, maybe a stronger form of correction, especially if something is kind of shocking, uh, alarming, uh, very bad. There's entreaty. The Bible uses entreaty. You know, I, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, I am urging you, I'm asking you, you've got to get a hold of this idea, son, because if you don't, it's to your eternal peril. There's instruction, you know, information, lessons, aim to understanding, and hopefully your aim is that your children will understand better than you did at their age, you know, have good instruction. Warning, you know, danger signs, um, you know, stranger danger, (laughs) that sort of thing, but warning about all kinds of things, uh, you know, from the scriptures, from your experience and and connection with the scripture. Uh, He also talks about another method of communication, teaching, and then the final one, and then we have to stop here because time is exhausted, uh, is the communication of prayer. The communication of prayer. Praying for your children is one thing. How about praying with your children, having them pray with you as well? Um, and I know there's a tension of, well, what if my child is not yet a Christian? I know. But are you going to not ask them to give thanks because they're not a Christian when they ought to give thanks to God for their food or something like that? So we, we all, always had our kids, you know, up until, you know, their teen years, I mean, well past the te- beginning of their teen years, praying at the table, even if they, we knew they weren't Christians yet, because they ought to give thanks too. You know, every creature needs to give thanks to God for what God has given to them. Now, that may, if it doesn't come out of a saved heart, we know there's a theological issue with that and everything, but at least they're being taught they need to be thankful. So let's pause there. There's more to come.
we need to pray, and then we'll get to our, get to our next service. Father, we ask that you would help us. This has been an enriching, I think, conversation, enriching teaching and thoughts from the scriptures, thinking about a number of Bible verses that we could use, thinking about our need to study the scriptures and how to better parent our children. So I pray that you would help us in this uh, room here under the sound of these words to do that. Myself, first place. Uh, we need your help to be good leaders and to become good people to come alongside of our children in the right balance between those two offices. We thank you in Jesus' name.